This is Future of Work Pioneers with your host, Dr. Harpreet Singh at Harvard University. In this show, we speak with pioneers and thought leaders about workforce transformation, AI, and leadership in this exciting space. Hello, everyone. I'm Harpreet Singh, welcoming you to the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. We are continuing with our special edition entitled The Future of the Joint Force, which focuses on innovations within the U.S. Department of Defense. Today, we are privileged to have a panel of two guests from the intelligence community. Our first panelist is Kristen Armstrong, the program manager for Intelligence Community Initiative in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Earlier, she served as the Chief of Talent Development for the ODNI National Counterterrorism Center, spearheading both recruitment and workforce development. She has also served as the Chief of Talent Development and Deputy Chief Operating Officer for the ODNI National Counterterrorism Center. Our second panelist is Chandra Austin, the Deputy Director of the Lateral Innovation Division at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. She began her career in government, supporting analytics teams at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the Defense Intelligence Agency. She has also served as a chief of a data science and innovation team within the National Counterterrorism Center's Office of Data Strategy and Innovation. Kristen and Chandra, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Happy to be here. So before we dig into more specific questions, tell us how your role is connected to innovation within the intelligence community. I've worked as a government contractor and a government civilian uh, for almost 20 years, and the majority of which were spent providing graphic design support for finished intelligence or leading design teams. So at the beginning of 2018, I decided to shake things up and manage a team focused on data science and innovation. And then two years after that, I took another leap of faith and jumped into the role I'm currently in as Deputy Director of Lateral Innovation at ODNI. And even though the focus of each mission has differed, the common thread or the common goal has been to find new and innovative ways to help people make decisions, whether that means finding more effective ways to present intelligence, or implementing processes that allow us to get the job done more efficiently. So I started my career at the National Counterterrorism Center as well in the 24-7 Operations Center, where I worked in the least desk. I was responsible for identifying specific threats, providing warnings, preempting attacks, and generally speaking, disrupting terrorist networks. Um, but I think it was the best possible place to start my career because it gave me a really foundational view of how the intelligence community works. Because of 9-11, our center was actually given um, authority to have access to a mountain of data, and this became a huge challenge for us. It was just so much data, and it was overwhelming trying to sort through all of it as um, on an everyday basis. So this is when I began to try to find technical solutions to make our lives easier. But also to find that one critical piece of information that could be the difference of a failed terrorist attack or a successful one. The idea that we would miss something is what kept us up at night. And it propelled me to continually find different ways to do our jobs better using technology. I think what was difficult for me, though, was that I was not a technical person um, or computer person by any means. 
I was a liberal arts major um, and so I've had to find creative ways to articulate my needs as a user and work with very technical people to find new solutions. Over time, um, I found a network of innovative people like Chandra um, who have helped me along the way to use new innovative techniques to flesh out hard problems and develop solutions, which is how I found myself in my current position. It was basically a natural progression of learning and understanding the mission from the ground up, um, finding bigger and broader problems to solve in each job that I did. And now I help focus on big future issues related to building and retaining a highly, a highly skilled and diverse workforce that we can better position ourselves um, to meet the ever-changing demands of our mission. Historically, when it comes to the intelligence business, innovation has been a central component, you know, but it has persisted in the shadows, perhaps. And I think we'll all agree that uh, that's no longer the case. Uh, innovation is becoming front and center for most government institutions. So given your current position, what do you see driving this change in the intelligence community specifically? For better or for worse, innovation is having a moment. Um, so while it can sometimes be frustrating that suddenly everyone is doing innovation these days, or at least claiming to, it also means there are more people in the intelligence community and elsewhere in the US government who are passionate about changing things for the better. And we help each other grow. Uh, this means there's now more room to not only create uh, new tools, uh, policies, or tradecraft, but also to experiment with the act of innovating itself. For example, uh, just in the past few years, we have seen the technique of crowdsourcing become an accepted and mainstream way to tap the collective creativity and knowledge of the IC. We've also piloted a crowdfunding platform in which IC officers can pitch a solution to the whole agency. Um, the workforce votes for their favorite ideas and then multiple offices can pledge money toward the project. Um, and even right now, um, our team is in the process of changing a 10 plus uh, year old innovation contest piloting new submission formats like videos and, and graphics as other methods of sharing a solution to go along with the traditional uh, long paper format. And we're doing this to encourage a more diverse group of participants um, since creativity can be expressed in many different ways. Um, in terms of obstacles, I think we're still transitioning to thinking of innovation as a team sport um, having the brilliant idea is just part of the puzzle. Um, you still need to implement it. And on top of that, it needs to be something people actually want and will put to use. Um, this requires people who understand how to get funding, how to put a contract in place, how to get a new tool approved through the security process, how to launch a communications campaign um, so people know about it. Um, these skills usually aren't covered in your typical design thinking or lean startup class. So our team is working to demystify the implementation process um, and build a cadre of, of golf caddies who can advise innovators along the way and also ensure our colleagues in the contracts, legal and security offices are aware of all the flexible options available to them, um, such as other transaction authorities or OTAs, and the TechFAR handbook. 
Christian, we, we've heard a lot about the ODNI. Can, can you tell us what ODNI is and uh, how the intelligence community is structured? Sure. So the uh, intelligence community is made up of 17 different agencies. There's um, with a centralized figure uh, run by the ODNI, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, which was created after the 9 11 uh, Commission report came out to basically give a, a leading figure that would help coordinate and collaborate across the intelligence community to make sure that we were sharing information and providing um, important information that each agency wasn't necessarily sharing pre-9-11. Um, so there's a lot of coordination going on between those agencies. Um, there's a lot of uh, talking about what the different priorities are for each agency and making sure that we provide a cohesive and um, collaborative message when it comes to each of the missions that we do. Um, some of the different agencies that you that are included in the uh, intelligence community, you may have heard of, CIA is the big one. Um, there's also the FBI, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, also known as NSA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, um, the National Reconnaissance Ops, NRO, and other intelligence elements of the DOD um, services. So the Army, the Navy, Marine Corps, and Air Force, they all have um, intel services embedded within their organization that all help uh, be part of the intelligence community. We also have a couple other organizations like the Department of Energy's Office of Intelligence and Counterintelligence um, that help um, bring part of the, the intelligence mission to the community. And then the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Intelligence Analysis, as well as the U.S. Coast Guard, uh, Department of Justice, their Federal Bureau of Investigation Office, the FBI, and then a, a more lesser known one, the Drug Enforcement Agency. Um, they have a national security intelligence uh, apparatus in their organization. And then, of course, Department of State has a small um, Bureau of Intelligence and Research. And the last one is the Department of the Treasury's Office of Intelligence and Analysis. So. All of those organizations, some of them are huge, some of them are small. Um, they all come together to make sure that we are sharing that information, working together, and um, essentially countering whatever threat it might be to the This episode is brought to you by Experfy. Incubated in Harvard Innovation Lab, Experfy provides custom future of work solutions, such as private talent clouds and skill taxonomies. Experfy differentiates itself by using subject matter experts to pre-vet and pipeline candidates for AI and high-end technology skills. However, Experfy Talent Cloud Platform is skill agnostic and can be licensed to build custom talent clouds for any and all skills. In a different use case, enterprises interested in employee intermobility can license the Expropy platform to create an internal gigs marketplace where interested employees can be algorithmically matched to projects, gamifying their learning experience. Visit www.expropy.com for more information. So let's talk about AI. Our audience is quite interested in AI and emerging technologies. Uh, and this is becoming an important uh, topic uh, across the government as well. Uh, and I was looking at your own initiative, the AIM initiative, and love to hear more about it on the podcast. So what are some of the uh, challenges you're seeing when it comes to AI adoption 
And what are you doing to overcome those challenges? You're absolutely right uh, that AI is essential and it's constantly changing. Um, we often say we're facing a red queen problem from Alice in Wonderland since it takes all the running that you can do uh, to keep in the same place. So in order to try to stay ahead of the curve, we're always looking out for, for new developments, um, whether sourced internally or, or externally. On the external uh, front, our team runs the Intelligence Science and Technology Partnership, or INSTEP, um, which connects IC mission challenges with private sector capabilities, um, especially from the startup world and companies that aren't already working with the government. Um, we've designed the program to minimize barriers to entry for both the government and commercial sides. Um, the application process uh, for companies should take about under 10 minutes. Meeting, meetings takes place via, via video, sometimes in person. Pre-COVID, it was in person. Right now, we're doing things virtually, and they're about 30 minutes uh, per company. Um, and we share the information with government participants on agile procurement methods um, if they choose to pursue something. Um, through this program, we host eight to 10 companies per week. It's a lot <laughs> on behalf of the entire IC. Um, this morning, I even hosted three. Um, so one of America's strongest assets is the diversity of our population, which means we have the opportunity to collaborate with innovators in industry and in our workforce who see problems differently and then apply novel solutions to them. What areas has IC focused on that will help ensure that it's not only maintaining pace with the rapidly changing nature of AI, but it's also preparing its operators and performers for the challenges that lie ahead? So the Intel community actually came together about two years ago to try and decide what the future priorities should be based off of the ever-changing mission. Um, and they came up with six strategic initiatives of which my office is responsible for overseeing the execution of. We help identify, develop, and articulate the path forward for the Intel community. We try to make future bets through strategic initiatives and address enduring challenges that um, are emerging issues. We also look for opportunities to combine information, data, and technologies. But basically, we're trying to do the unexpected. We envision high-risk, high-payoff research that will deliver innovative technology to 17 different Intel community elements. And two of these initiatives um, are called Augmenting Intelligence with Machines, or the AIM, AIM initiative, and the Right Trusted Agile Workforce, or RTAW, RTA initiative, because we love our acronyms. Um, both initiative teams have actually joined forces to develop a plan that creates a more technologically sophisticated and enterprise-aware workforce. And we're actively embracing strategic workforce planning and analytics to aid in accurately identifying our current and future skill gaps. We're also heavily investing in programs for training to try to equip the existing for workforce with essential AI skills. And we're focusing on attracting talent with high demand AI skills by offering pay incentives and bonuses to try to keep up pace with private sector and compete. Um, we're also trying to provide greater transparency into the kinds of work that we do in the hopes that lifting the veil a bit will entice skilled AI talent to come work for us. We're also partnering with private industry and academia to increase the pool of people inside the Intel community with awareness of these best practices. We're also leveraging our own internal joint duty program, which provides all employees the opportunity to rotate to a different agency for two to three years. 
We see this as a strong mechanism for us to share and retain talent across agencies and move talent to where the mission needs are most critical. And essentially, we're trying to ensure we attack the problem from multiple angles. That's great. So, so um, th those are some very uh, unique ways of uh, upskilling. What, what else are you doing to build a coherent workforce that understands these new technologies? So our people are our greatest mission asset. The Right Trusted Agile Workforce Initiative mentioned before, also known as RTAW, was created under the premise that our workforce must stay at the cutting edge of their field through access to the best development opportunities wherever they are within the Intel community or externally, including in academia and private sector. While experience in AI is a top priority skill for our industry, this mandate actually applies to all mission needed skills in the Intel community. The right people with the right skills must be able to move throughout our community and industry so we can get outside expertise rapidly and on short notice. Basically, when we need it and at the speed of crisis. We envision new practices to create a workforce that is more diverse, more agile, more mobile, but without compromising our need for security. We're actually focusing our efforts on what we call our three moonshots. Um, they're called Beyond the Beltway, One IC Workforce, and IC Officer for Life. And IC stands for Intel Community. The basic concept behind these moonshots is that we need to reshape how and where we work. Um, by looking at work being done at multiple classification levels, not just at the highest top secret levels that we currently operate most of uh, our time in, but as well as in geographically dispersed locations across the U.S. Most people may not realize that but the bulk of our intelligence community actually resides in the D.C. metro area. So when it comes to recruitment and talent, um, we are hampered by the idea that we have to find people in the D.C. area. So we're trying to move our efforts out across the United States, make sure that we have more diverse um, geographical uh, talent from different areas. We will also use our internal joint duty program to help drive mobility and develop our one IC workforce idea as a key tenant of our talent management strategies. Allowing for rapid movement of skills across the Intel community to meet mission needs and develop expertise. We also plan to build a workforce that can move seamlessly in and out of government. So the idea that you work in the government for your entire career is an old idea. We want to see officers that have the ability to move seamlessly between government and private sector and gain expertise in multiple areas and come back and provide that expertise to the government. So to create an IC officer for life who is at the cutting edge of their field is what we're gaining, driving towards. Because they have the flexibility to be exposed to new technologies and skills without the current challenges of entering and re-entering the government, we see this as a really important initiative for us. But there are always challenges. Right now, we're looking for ways to leverage AI to help us create modern, interoperable, and accessible data and systems, which are critical to achieving all three of these moonshots. Right. So I want to uh, invite my colleague, uh, Adam Wood, to join us and, uh, and, and ask a couple of questions. Kristen, I'll, I'll preface this uh, this question with the definition of IC um, being the the ODNI, CIA, NSA, NRO, um, NGA, uh, DHS, and FBI versus the military intelligence program. Right, so we have you know uh, folks from the Office of Naval Intelligence, 16th Air Force, and and others that are involved in MIP. Um, so as a, as a follow-on question, um, what are some of the tools 
and, and processes that the IC is currently utilizing in order to help facilitate uh, these types of changes to its workforce? Um, and what are the, the positives and some, some of the side constraints relative to their implementation? Sure, there are actually a variety of projects that the Intel community has embarked upon to help make these changes a reality. We're developing um, an Intel community-wide program to create exchange opportunities for private industry so that our workforce can stay, again, at the cutting edge of technology. We're also building relationships with the national labs to have greater connectivity to the expertise and research being done in the STEM arena. We also have a visiting, or we have created a visiting scientist program, which brings in scientists of exceptional ability um, from academic or nonprofit organizations on a year-to-year appointment. And we've also embraced a virtual internship program run out of the State Department that enables us to tap into a broad spectrum of expertise to help us think about and solve some of our hard problems in an unclassified setting. In addition, we're also partnering with the National Science Foundation CyberCorp program to leverage those partnerships with universities to enable students to work on mission-related projects, as well as provide a stream of recruits with STEM skills. As we develop and recruit those with new skills, we are adapting our old processes to integrate these new concepts, including how we manage and work our workforce and how we train our workforce. Understanding that the technological capabilities are only limited by the ability to execute, we're working to ensure we no longer continue using the same processes to solve new problems. Albert Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So we were trying to avoid that. So building a technologically strong workforce that can adapt at the speed of change is key in working in the field of AI. With the tools sometimes changing as quickly as overnight, we're heavily focused on investing in our people first. Chandra spoke about the the purpose of uh, OTAs and crowdsourcing earlier, right? Um, We've talked about in-step a little bit. Um, Chandra, in, in your current role, um, you know, uh, as a deputy director of lateral innovation, I would imagine that you have uh, and continue to work with a lot of different entities, uh, some of which Kristen just spoke of, uh, both inside and outside of government. Um, so governmental partners, DOD partners, industry, academic institutions. Um, could you speak a little bit about what those interactions look like? I mean, I, I know that you brought up, we spoke about INSTEP, um, but how, how does the ODNI support them specifically um, throughout the process? And, and what are you asking from those companies that come in ultimately seeking to innovate in the IC? That's a good question. Um, so in addition to in-step meetings that we talked about, um, we do interact regularly with other parts of the U.S. government, academia, and private sector. Um, so for example, there's a monthly meeting of innovators across the national uh, security community to include IC elements, DOD, and some elements uh, uh, of the GSA, General Services Administration, and even the Small Business Administration, um, because they offer resources that are useful to to all government innovators, um, such as the the 10x Innovation Fund and the Small Business Innovation and Research, or SIBR, grants, respectively. Um, We also work closely with academia, including 
funding postdoctoral uh, fellowships on a variety of unclassified topics uh, of interest to the IC um, and sponsoring problems for university students to, to hack as part of the Hacking for Defense class. Um, so if you're not already familiar um, with that, Hacking for Defense is a DOD funded program that runs over 30, the, it runs at over, sorry, 30 universities around the country. Um, U.S. government offices, including in the IC, they submit unclassified problem statements and student teams uh, select a problem to try to solve over the course of a semester. Um, they conduct hundreds of interviews with people who are experienced in that problem or have solved similar ones. And they often realize that uh, the problem they submitted or that we submitted, it's just a symptom of a different problem. And then if all goes well, uh, they develop a minimum viable product uh, for a solution by the end of the term. Um, my boss, uh, Katie Tobin, she has a, a good example from her time at CIA where her team sponsored a problem for a class at Stanford. Uh, they explained when analysts move job, jobs every four years, um, or every few years rather, it can be difficult to record their knowledge and, and pass it along to their successor. I think everybody deals with that problem. Um, so, and likewise for new analysts, um, to get up to speed. Is there a way to accelerate this process, getting up to speed, keeping or passing along that information? Um, it turns out though, they were wrong about this problem. After a few weeks of interviews, they concluded that another tool wouldn't help. Um, as a matter of fact, it might make things worse. Um, so uh, knowledge was already too scattered between shared drives, document libraries, wikis, blogs. It actually kind of sounds like how I have my computer set up at home. <laughs> so instead, they, they needed a solution that was embedded in a tool that everyone was already using daily, um, Instant Messenger. Uh, so they built a chatbot that could access all the disparate knowledge um, management systems across the network. Um, the class ended up actually um, creating a, a a paper prototype. Um, so they provided the students with some money after that and they built a functional uh, prototype using unclassified sample data. Um, the software team at CIA then used that code to build something on the internal networks uh, with official data. Um, so we actually are hoping to see more of that kind of collaboration in the future um, because students provide a fresh perspective on our problem and really challenge our assumptions with this example that was able to happen over the course of a few months. Um, and when it comes to the, you asked about the instep companies, and I think it's really just understanding um, who we are as an intelligence community. Kristen, you know, talked about um, our structure. Um, one of the things that actually today I was taking notes on how might we make it easier for um, companies to respond uh, to our needs. And I think it's just by making this information um, more available or more accessible um, on our websites, letting them know, hey, th this is what we're looking for. Um, if you look at our in-step RFI, you'll see that we've actually identified um, those areas of the interest, not only from us at ODNI, but from across the entire community. And so uh, companies have a little bit more insight into 
you know, the problems that they can solve. Um, I think over time we'll still, we'll continue to improve upon, um, upon that process so that the tools that are developed really do hit the nail on the head for today's problems, but also um, offer potential solutions for future problems that we might face. Yeah, it sounds like it, that that was that was fantastic. It sounds like the the knowledge share and tech transfer um, is really important, um, especially when you're working with uh, an abundance of data, uh, an increasingly complex world, um, and missions. You know, the NGA with their cartography um, and 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 what they do. I think that you know, given whether it's a climate risk, uh, whether it's it's a it's a terror cell risk, there are so many things that we can improve upon as a workforce by engaging in that in that knowledge share and tech transfer through different uh, innovations coming down the pipeline. So I think that that would be something that definitely want to work toward more, as you said, in the future and and empower uh, firms to to feel. Uh, comfortable uh, approaching the IC and and kind of help bridge that divide a little bit, you know, pull back the curtain just a tad. Just a tad. <laughs> um, Kristen, if, if there's anything uh, that you'd like to add on, on that, please feel free. Um, uh, otherwise, I will kick it back over to Harpreet. Sure, I'd love to. Um, so when you talk about our structure, you, you, we have 17 different agencies and, and you have to understand that those 17 age, different agencies with the 17 different missions also have 17 different uh, networks and data holdings and ways of doing businesses and processes. So when, when we talk about um, how do we move forward and sharing that data, um, I mean, we've had many years to work on this and we're, it's a continual fight to try and figure out how we can get that. So we're, we actually have two initiatives. I already mentioned one, which is the AIM initiative. But the other one is the Modern Data Management Infrastructure Initiative, MDMI. And AIM focuses on the tech exploiting the data, but MDMI focuses on the underlying data itself. So for us to apply AI tools, we actually need data that is first discoverable across the Intel community. And for example, do we even know who has what data at what agency? Um, and then second, it needs to be accessible, meaning once I know it's there, can I even gain access to it? And then third, it needs to be usable, meaning once I have access, is the data in a format that I can apply the AI algorithms against? Um, over the last number of years, agencies have developed internal capabilities to do these things against their own data holdings, but we've never been super successful at being able to do it across agencies. So MDMI and AIM are working in tandem um, to try to change that. Thank you very much, Kristen. I really appreciate that. Um, Harpreet, back to you. Kristen, I, I found it fascinating you mentioning this virtual internship program. Uh, you know, at Xprofi, we've been uh, experimenting with virtual apprenticeships in the fields of data science and data engineering. Um, and we, we think we can achieve scale that way. It would be helpful to understand, you know, how, how you launched this virtual internship program, and uh, and what have been the uh, challenges that you faced. Uh, well, and was this pre-pandemic or uh, after the pandemic? Great question, um, and I'm going to answer uh, a little bit of it, and then I'm going to send it over to Shandra because she actually is 
um, has quite a few interns that she used this summer. Um, so she actually has even more experience with it than I am. But we definitely launched this pre-pandemic when I was working at the National Counterterrorism Center a few years ago. Um, we stumbled across it uh, and found it, one, to be um, a great program because it's free. Um, and that we always look for that in the, the federal government ways to, to do things um, at lower rates and without spending too much of the, the taxpayers' money. So this um, internship opportunity actually is open to anyone in the country. Because it's, because it's virtual, it's wonderful. They don't actually have to come to the DC area, you know, spend a lot of money trying to find a place to live here. Um, and so what we try to do is because it is virtual, it's all unclassified. Uh, so a couple of different agencies have started to use it. It's starting to expand more across the intelligence community. Um, but still a small program. I'm hoping to, to use it as more of a recruiting tool. Um, but it is unclassified problems or uh, questions, I guess, that we actually try to ask. So a lot of things, and we try not to make it, like your typical inter internship is, might be doing a lot of grunt work. We don't, we don't want that. We want them to be able to experience the intelligence community um, in as much way possible as they can at the unclassified level. Um, and so there's, it's a really great opportunity to really tackle some hard to to figure out problems that we just don't have the time or the space to really um, take, you know, to, to do and to look into in, in a really deep way. Um, and But also what's really important is to get that really, that outside um, expertise and that outside um, diversity of viewpoints that we're looking for. Um, I think when we work for the federal government for as many years as, as we have, we get in our own little bubble. Um, so this internship program has really helped us to get outside of that and also, you know, learn about things that these um, internship uh, students that are, are learning in their own college programs, um, new things that we may not even be aware of. Um, so that's really been a, an eye-opening experience for us and has really helped us in a lot of different ways. I'll hand it over to Shandra now, who I think has some more specific experience with it. Apreet, I think you'll appreciate the fact that um, while I was over at NCTC, I actually had the opportunity, um, like Kristen, to to mentor um, some data science interns, which was really lovely. We got to take advantage of um, doing data science um, at the unclassified level. So we had um, students, you know, coding, you know, we gave them a generalized problem, and then they came up with new solutions that we were able to then, you know, port up um, to the classified network, and then apply um, to a classified problem. So, you know, there are just so many opportunities um, in front of these virtual uh, interns, or it's BSF interns is like what we like to call them. Um, and then in this lateral innovation um, space, this summer, as a matter of fact, as, as Kristen referenced, we had six summer interns and they were absolutely amazing. Um, you know, we're a small team of individuals. So having their help really just allowed us to do more, um, to move the in-step program forward. So we had interns participating in calls and taking notes that we would then um, uh, broadcast out or share out um, to the rest of the IC elements. Um, in other cases, we, they, um, 
actually, after learning a little bit, they started facilitating customer interviews and the data collected from those interviews was used to create these playbooks that we've made available to the entire community that actually share best practices and lessons learned um, in the area of innovation. So it ranges from acquisitions to pitch days and hackathons to getting seed funding for your idea. Um, and, and Kristen also mentioned, um, also mentioned diversity. Um, they helped us to um, strategize, to build the strategy rather for um, a, a speakers bureau that we're, we're trying and we're hoping um, to, to um, make official sometime in FY 2021, but the possibilities are endless. And like she said, this isn't your typical internship uh, where you're doing that grunt work. And that's something that I experienced, you know, as a summer intern years ago, you know, just climbing on ladders and filing away, you know, people's HR files, you know, that's not what you look forward to when you're looking to take over the world one day. You know, my goal is to be a graphic designer, not a file clerk. So um, in this way, we get a chance to um, help the interns really explore um, potential careers within the government, not just within the IC, but in the, the larger federal government and and see, is this for me? Um, try on different hats because they're not they're not just doing customer interviews. They're doing a lot of research They're they're um, they're doing a lot of writing, um, and also it's an opportunity for them to network. Um, and in the end, we've seen some interns actually get hired on um, by either a mentor or by somebody else who got to see them in action. So it's a really valuable uh, program, and I'm really grateful to the State Department uh, for coming up with it. It's fantastic. Uh, yes, that does, does sound uh, very promising. Uh, I, I think the trick is going to be how do you scale this to uh, a much larger uh, cohort of, uh, of interns, right? I think uh, that, that could be very helpful. As we know that AI is, is a global phenomenon and what happens abroad, say in China, has an impact on uh, or influences what the U.S. government does. So are you seeing that phenomena play out in the IC as well? One area of uh, great responsibility uh, for AI is that it can be used to train humans to do our jobs better. Um, so for example, we're using it to assist analysts uh, with drafting intelligence reports. Not only are the algorithms flagging text that isn't compliant with the official style guide, um, we're also experimenting with using AI to evaluate the quality of draft reports and give rapid feedback to analysts. So analysts go through, they go through several months of training early in their careers and also have annual refreshers and on how to conduct research, cite sources, mitigate cognitive biases, structure their arguments, avoid circular reporting and so on and so forth. So when they write a report, it goes through multiple rounds of coordination with other relevant I see elements, it's not done in a vacuum. Um, and editing from a chain of progressively uh, more senior reviewers. So in the future, the computer will offer the first round of edits and flag if there isn't enough evidence to support a conclusion or if the paper um, starts to contradict itself. 
I think that's pretty amazing. So, you know, I have to take that all in because that's some pretty cool stuff. So I think in general, we'll be successful um, with human machine teaming if we start uh, with the human need first rather than the technical capability. And that's something pretty big in um, design thinking. It's understanding your users, understanding what their needs are, what some of their challenges are, and then um, identifying uh, and validating potential solutions um, to meet uh, those needs. Um, uh, in the case of the style guide that I mentioned earlier, the team that developed um, it first interviewed dozens of analysts, right? So to learn about all the biggest headaches. So like I mentioned, design thinking. And as it turned out, um, one of them was the constant or had this constant need to double check which words um, need to be spelled out uh, versus could be acronyms or the proper spelling of the transliteration of some foreign names. So rather than launch into some uh, uh, big development or procurement project um, right away, they did a, a very simple prototype and made what looked like a website, but was actually a, a PowerPoint presentation with hotspots. And I actually tried this out this summer and it really does work. Um, so people can see how the tool um, would work and give feedback, but without actually having to code anything. Kristen mentioned, you know, saving taxpayer dollars and doing it this way really does save not only time, but it saves a lot of money. Um, so PowerPoint really is worth it sometimes. Um, so the idea was really popular. Um, so then the team crowdsourced uh, a list of the top 20 or so rules that people struggled with the most. Um, so that they could focus on those for version 1.0 um, rather than make people wait for a 100% solution. Um, I think that by involving people early on in the process, uh, they would be advocates for the solution. Whereas if you surprise people with a new capability uh, that forces them to change their workflow and they don't trust that it's an improvement, you, you have lots of challenges ahead. So when it comes to AI, you know, you always have to have that human involved. Like I said earlier, we talk about the humans, um, you know, people say that AI um, and machines are going to replace us. And I don't believe that to be the case. They are only here really to make um, our jobs better. Um, and to make that happen, we really do have to involve uh, the human and understand the user up front. Very true, Chandra. Uh, it was um, wise, admirable, sharp, I believe, the director of the NGA, who said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that people are more important than hardware. Uh, and this, it'll be the understanding of how people partner with machines that'll be most important as we move forward. How do you see, uh, you know, human beings being augmented by machines, especially in the context of AI? Uh, you know, you've given some great examples, but uh, is there something structured that is going on, uh, you know, that, that the IC is doing to make that or institutionalize that? I think we can take into account some of those things, not only that I just um, mentioned, um, like helping us um, write better reports, um, but even the things that um, that Kristen mentioned about, you know, sharing data um, so that we can just 
we can do a better job and we can make um, smarter decisions when we when we share the data. And to make that happen, we have to employ algorithms um, and, you know, make sure that we're providing structured data up front instead of making people spend hours and hours having to structure it before they can actually uh, do something with that. Um, I would also say when it comes to AI um, uh, and machine learning in general, um, and this goes to, to what Kristen was talking about with um, the right trusted agile workforce and MDMI, I think we need to make sure that the people, um, that the workforce has, has the know-how, the savvy to be able to work with the data that we have. Yes, we want to make sure that we have, you know, really skilled um, subject matter experts when it comes to data scientists. And we are always trying to recruit um, the best and the brightest, but who they have to work with somebody. They're going to be working with um, um, with people like me who um, are graphic designers or people with business backgrounds. That said, we need to make sure that we have an understanding um, of, of the data, what's behind the data, you know, how the sausage is made, like people say, and understand how to ask the right questions of our data scientists and computer engineers to make sure that we can get uh, the right answers or draw the right answers out of the data that we do have. Um, so I think there's this like teaming effort that has to go on. We have to make sure that we have the right skills. We have to make sure that we have the right understanding, the right people to do the job. Obviously, um, uh, definitely the, the the technology in place, um, the the structures uh, to make sure that we can make this happen and make make this happen successfully. So that those are those are my thoughts when it comes to when it comes to AI and moving forward, and in uh, the STEM uh, related uh, topics in general. One thing I'd love to add is um, that we know that all of these initiatives and all of this change is going to be hard. Changing culture around all of this is even harder. Um, we know that there's going to be a lot of pushback as we try to move for a community that actually shares talent um, and embrace technology in new ways. We've always embraced technology when it comes to collecting our intelligence, but when it comes to um, our processes and our people, um, that's made us uncomfortable and it's going to continue to make us uncomfortable until we can um, you know, get through it. But there's always going to be challenges as we try to find that balance between the human side of our mission and the machine side to make us as effective as we possibly can be. Thank you very much. It was, uh, you know, wonderful hearing from both of you. Uh, this was an enlightening conversation. It's, it's very interesting that, you know, when you're looking from the outside, you don't realize how much is going on and uh, the, the interplay between agencies. And uh, uh, it's, it's a complex world uh, that, you, you know, you, you that you inhabit. Um, that those of us who are civilians, we, we don't really uh, get to see. So th this is a really useful conversation, I think, for, for me and also the wider audience that we have. Great. Thank you so much for having us. We hope that this is a conversation that we will continue to have. And we are always looking for really good people. So we hope this message that as well. People who are interested in, in really smart, talented people that would like to come work for um, the intelligence community and, and move our mission forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast and also tell your colleagues and friends about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode with yet another pioneer shaping the future of work.